you know, if it was me, I would, I would probably make the entire menu about potatoes because I'm just freaking obsessed with potatoes. Um, but no one would come here just to eat like four different, 40 different types of um, potatoes. So. Hello and welcome to My Signature Dish. My name is Ollie Horn. It's a pleasure to have you here. This is the podcast where I speak to home cooks around the world, get them to share their story, their culinary secrets, and their signature dish. This is episode nine, and it's an absolute pleasure to have you here. If this is the first episode you're checking out, then thanks very much. I hope you stay, stick around, subscribe. Uh, if you're back here after having already listened to the first eight, uh, then thanks a lot for the support. We're going to reach 10 within a week. Look forward to having you there. Um, and on the note of 10, the guest that I'm speaking to today lived in Australia for 10 years and then returned to her home country of Brunei. I speak to Shinny and she has started a coffee shop, a kind of an arts collective uh, that brings together a diverse range of home cooks uh, and gets them to experiment uh, and serve dishes that might previously not have been available in Brunei. Super interesting conversation. I can't wait for you to get stuck. <laughs> I think the thing with, with like me growing up is uh, I was pretty privileged that I had a mom that could cook really, really well. So because I'm from a Chinese background, the majority of the food that we ate was very much Chinese. Um, in Brunei, we're really, really lucky to have a lot of kind of good, fresh produce from the ocean. Sorry, not oceans, from the sea. Um, so we would do, you know, uh, we would get lots of fresh fish, like really good prawns and things like that. Um, uh I wouldn't say that we ate a lot of Malay food, like typical Malay food growing up. It was kind of like a lot of using the Brunei produce, but creating kind of new flavors with it. So that was kind of the thing that was um, interesting for me to see as a kid was not, I didn't eat a lot of the same food as, as everybody else or all the other kind of like Malay kids in my class like we had a lot of classic Chinese dishes but my mom would always kind of get ingredients and try to do something new with them and try to do something different with them so um yeah that was really that was really cool to see growing up like we would go out in the ocean and, and go jet skiing and then just like chase after fishing trawlers and you know would have to like chuck money chuck money up at these people in these giant like like however many story high fishing trawlers and they'd like throw fish down at us and then um you know we'd like get this fish and just go straight home and and cook it in whatever way she thought um she wanted to do that day so I think um I experiment I ex uh, experienced a lot of kind of experimental cooking growing up um so I didn't get a typical taste of Brunei cuisine growing up which I think has kind of served me well um now that I've gone into the food and beverage industry Right. Well, so let's let's jump straight to that. So to provide some some context, you you've set up a kind of like an arts collective, I guess, is the best way to describe it. Yep. So Brunei. that's that's the first that's the first thing that um, well, my first business, I guess, that I've started on my own. And the second one that we, we now have that is my like second baby is the wildflower. So it's um, it's a bit of a, a hub for food creativity. But I mean, if you want to kind of boil it down to business terms, it's a, a cafe. It's a tiny cafe. Okay. It's super small. <laughs> All right. Well, let, let, let's give it the simple description and then the uh, the jazzed up description. So at its core, you've set up a little cafe space where people yep. can, which looks like a cafe and people can buy coffee and food. Yep. But yep. there's something special about it. Yes. Yeah, so when I first came back to Brunei, I had lived in Sydney for about 10 years already. So I was very much kind of, um, 
you know, used to the, the food culture there and, and just the arts culture there in general. So coming back to Brunei, that was at a time period where there wasn't really anything going on and kind of it just felt really dry for lack of a better um for lack of a, a more politically correct word. <laughs> so I, I think I got really frustrated and I just wanted to do, to do stuff. And um, I started doing these little pop-up markets and that led to just doing um, more different um, art collaborations or art-based projects and creative projects. And, and a lot of it was centered around food because I just love food and it's a big part of my life. So um, you cooking would, when you're in Sydney. Yes. Yeah. But I, this is the thing that like people always laugh about because I'm like a bit of a, a bit of a, I guess, mad scientist of, oh, let's try new flavors and let's, you know, let's use this um, truffle salt and throw it on this stuff and do something that's really original. But at the same time, like I'll happily eat like a block of cheese in one go and, and do, do things that are probably really um, disgusting to most chefs. <laughs> No, but you know, I, I'm I'm exactly the same. So I, I'm I'm by no means a, a professional chef, but I do cook mm. a lot, um, and it does really annoy some of my friends that I will spend ages sourcing really interesting ingredients that they've never heard of and really nice, expensive projects. But I also enthuse as much about a really well-made Big Mac. Um, and, and so, some so things I'm, are just good, and you can't yeah. deny it. There's no, Precisely. you can't get away from it. Yeah. Um, okay, so so while you and and so what was it? What was it like buying produce in Sydney compared to buying produce at home? Did, did it change the way in which you cooked? Yeah, for sure. I think um, when I moved to Sydney, that was for university. So, you know, you're kind of coming of age and all that sort of stuff. And um, the amount of produce in Brunei is pretty, it's pretty limited. And um, a lot of it is, I guess for Western food, especially, it's really, really expensive. So, when I went to Australia, there was kind of this huge availability of not just Western produce, but also produce from all over the world. Cause Sydney is truly blessed to have like loads of different, um, loads of different nationalities, um, or different nationalities of food represented. And so is your cafe a place where food, which maybe has never even been served in Brunei before is now served because of this kind of experimental nature? Yeah, so I think um, similarly to the collective art events, it was that was that whole thing was just about bringing new ideas of like art and creativity into Brunei and kind of getting people to see beyond what they normally see. And so I think the stuff that we do with food is uh, in a very similar vein of I just want people to think about food differently. I want people to experience food differently. So. Um, you know, when they think about something as simple as like hummus, they don't think of it as just hummus is hummus is hummus you know they think about how how can they do something that's completely batshit crazy with hummus and makes it taste like a thousand times better so the goal of the cafe is really to kind of push food creativity and get people to kind of like think outside the box um beyond what they normally just eat every day so how does it work can anyone just rock up and say hey i've got an idea for a dish can i try and serve it to your customers <sighs> I mean, honestly, if they, they did, then I probably wouldn't stop them. But um, so for now, we kind of operate in uh, in a bit more of a structured way where we've got like um, a team of people that, you know, a team of people that cook, a team of people that do the coffee. But um, we try to just experiment a lot. And, you know, our menu is pretty quirky. So one of the things that we would kind of hear a lot when um, we first launched was like pe people were just like, 
like what like this is the menu like you don't have any of the the regular stuff like where's the burger where's the you know where's like the the chicken and chips and stuff or where's this thing that like every can like standard cafe in Brunei has to have so we kind of just went completely um off center and stuff and, and we wanted to kind of give the food industry a bit of a kick up its ass and I think we've we've kind of successfully done that so talk to me about some of the things in the cafe which might have been surprising to your customers um I think we we did like a um so we do fries which are pretty standard everywhere but we do um say for example like hand cut fries with tossed in like a garlic marinade which um honestly is not really like a a standard recipe most of the most of the time I'm just kind of eyeballing when I create the garlic marinade and we just churn that out and that seems to be a, a massive hit but people were a bit like you know like what the hell like you're putting this random garlic marinade on fries and and stuff so something as simple as that kind of made people think about you know chips in a different way so we're kind of trying to put little bits of um I guess little bits of like a huh what is that or or, you know what are these guys doing into all the food that we do so that they just start to think about you know the, the chicken wing differently or the you know or rice differently or pasta differently so how did you learn to cook? How did you learn to come up with these ideas? Um, so it's, it's ironic that I had a, a mom that can cook really well, but I didn't really learn how to cook so much off her because she was so good at cooking. We just spent all our time eating her food. So I didn't really actually start to experiment with cooking myself until I left for uni and was kind of on my own and had to cook for myself every single day. So, um, But one of the things I, I definitely did learn growing up and um, – I haven't quite mastered as, as well as uh, my mom yet is uh, are her pork dumplings. So she is like a dumpling master and, you know, she does a huge variety of dumplings. And that's one of the, I guess, fondest memories of, of um, my childhood growing up is just kind of sitting at the table and making like loads and loads of dumplings um, to, to take. What kind of like... dumplings are these? What style are they? So um, I, th- I guess the signature ones are pork and they it's pork um, and white cabbage. But she treats the cabbage in the same way that she would treat um, cabbage for kimchi. So you basically salt the cabbage and extract all the water from it so that it stays crispy um, when you when you do actually cook it through in the dumpling. So I think one thing is when you have like normal pork dumplings, what you often find is the, the mix can kind of just be a bit of a random mush and it's just like a like meat and everything, but it's just all over the place. Whereas like um, we kind of finely chop the the cabbage and leave it most of it intact within the the dumpling meat to keep the texture in there and are these then boiled or fried um they're boiled but uh so we would boil them and then put them in the fridge and then just take them out and pan fry them the next day and then that's i think that for me was always the the most favorite part is the, the morning after dumpling fry they're so good. When just all like the crispy bits and then the juices have kind of had time to settle in and stuff like that. So you claim to have not learned your cooking from your mother. Where did you learn it from? I think the cooking that I've I've learned or my cooking skills are, are you honestly just like experimental and just trying stuff out. So, um, you know, it's funny because no one in the cafe really has any formal training in cooking. None of us has been to culinary school. We're not like celebrated chefs or anything. We're literally just all a bunch of home cooks that are really passionate about food. And we just wanted to to share that with everybody else. And how do you think that makes you different? What, what do you think 
would what do you think would be different if you did bring in a member of the team who had spent three years at culinary school? Um, I don't know. Maybe things would be a bit more organized and a bit more structured, and then we wouldn't be quite so willing to just like play and experiment with ideas. I think when you you become an expert on something, you kind of tend to get a bit too caught up in the rules and because none of us are really, you know, technically schooled experts in in cooking, we're just happy to to play and experiment and that often leads to like surprising discoveries that taste really amazing. And do you get good feedback from your customers? Do, do your customers help you in creating your dishes? Um yeah, for sure. I think we do this thing called test kitchen a lot, so we'll just play around and then put these um, photos of the the random things that we create in the kitchen up on Instagram, then people will comment and go, oh, you know, that's cool. Why don't you add this? Or why don't you try this? And, you know, I've done this before, but um, I did it this way. And so we then take that on and we kind of just play around a bit further. So it is like a two-way thing. And um, I guess that is the thing I love most is that it's more like a conversation of the community about food as opposed to just, you know, we're just pushing out f- food and people are giving us cash in return. And that's the end of the transaction. So do, do you claim to be cooking a certain type of cuisine? Is this Bruneian food? I don't know. I mean, it's Western by default in some ways, I think, because that's the type of cuisine I'm most comfortable cooking. But um, we do do this thing, which is like a twist on a nasi lamak. So uh, one of the experimental things that I've created that has kind of become um, a bit of a hit is a, a thing called coriander oil. So I basically slow fry coriander until the the coriander gets super crispy. And then we use that oil as like a, a drizzle over rice for nasi lemak instead of using um, coconut. So we we stain the rice blue and it's butterfly pea rice. Um, so you, you get a bit of like that light floral fragrance through it. And then we add the coriander oil on top of that. And then we've got like some pulled chicken. We've got pusu on there as well. We've, do, we've got pusu? Samal- pusu is the um, crispy anchovy that I was talking about earlier. So it's... Um, yeah, we do ours a bit differently as well. I think like the standard technique is to fry the pusu, but my um, my boyfriend's mum has this amazing trick where you literally pop them in the microwave for five minutes at like one minute intervals and they come out like way better than they would have if you'd done them the traditional way. So I understand that somebody in your kitchen won an award last year. Yep, so the Australian Embassy in Brunei, they um, they run this amateur cooking competitions uh it's a cooking competition that's open to amateur chefs and they do it every year and and i guess over the years it's kind of built up to be this um this big event in the foodie community here in brunei so um when it came around this year we were still quite a fairly new new cafe i guess and um i i kind of forcibly entered everyone in my kitchen team to to register for the competition because i thought it just would be a fun kind of give it a go um kind of give it a go project thing to do for them so um, in our kitchen, I think the the funny thing is that we've got like a real mixed bag of people. So you've got people like Fatin, who um, she's she honestly came in as um, as a barista and was just looking for a bit of extra cash to to make her way through uni and had no real interest actually in working in the kitchen. Um, but so she was kind of training to to be um, to be in the kitchen and you know. Um, we said, you know, just enter and create something. And and then comparatively to that, like you've got someone like Kahar who uh, 
he's so experienced at cooking for his family. So I really hired Kahar based on the fact that he said that he cooked for his family every single day and he would cook like a proper meal for his family every single day. I mean, you know, that's the kind of dedication that's um, only ever seen in like mums. So I thought if he if he loves food and cooking that much enough to, to take over the cooking duties for his family, then he, he'd love it enough that I should just hire him and, and I'm sure he'll do great in the kitchen. Um, and Kat, similarly, she's a friend of a friend and she has some experience in the kitchen um, but she does like kind of really amazing homey home style cooked food. Um, so again, none of them are like commercial chefs or anything like that. Um, but between all of them, there's like a real kind of wide scale of home cooked to absolute noob. Um, but yeah, so we entered all of them and they all did really amazing, uh, amazingly, but Fatin one, which was incredibly ironic because she has the least experience of any of us. So, yeah, I mean, we were all so happy for her because she really just like we had to drag her kicking and screaming through the entire process. She, you know, didn't want to enter at one point and was like, I'm not doing it. You can't force me to. And and then, you know, by the end of it, she'd produced what we thought was a really, really good, good tasting dish. So. Um, we're all super proud of her. Um, but I think that's the beauty of it is that, and the beauty of the cafe is that it just shows you like you don't, you know, you don't need to have maybe 20 years experience to do things or you don't need to have a fancy degree to to cook. Like you just need to have a real love of cooking and a, have a, a real kind of open mind to flavors. So um, talk me through this winning dish. Yep, so that is the... Uh, Australian nasi katok. So nasi katok, like I was saying, is a quintessential Bruneian dish. And um, so her twist on it was to to make sambal out of avocado. So typically the sambal in the nasi katok is what kind of carries the entire nasi katok dish. So we kind of knew that that would be a really important part of making this dish something that was unique. So she uses um actually i don't know if i'm allowed to reveal all of her secrets but there's yes you are no one listens <laughs> to this don't worry okay so she uses um avocados lime leaves dried chili um uh green chili which is then de-seeded and fried over um there are some shallots and some garlic and um the technique for this is is pretty precise everything has to be fried in a certain order and um, has to be, it has to all be ground together by hand in a, a, a mortar and pestle. So uh, I'm not sure why, again, this is one of the mysteries of, of cooking, but like, it, you know, no other method of mixing the sambal together besides hand grinding it in a mortar and pestle has produced the same flavor. So um, she, um, she hand grinds the, the avocado and, and all the ingredients together and then fries the, the sambal over. And it's just this really kind of unique, smoky, has that really buttery taste of avocados, um, but then all the pungent spices of, um, of like a sambal. Um, so it's, it's a really, really cool, interesting fusion dish. Um, so then along with that, there's kind of like a, just kind of your standard basmati rice. We, we do like a crispy fried shallot um, and then the fried chicken, which is marinated in Vegemite for about 24 hours. And fried that's just chicken like, marinated in Vegemite. It is this so good. fascinating. It so is so I'm, 
I mean, it won't come as a surprise to a regular listener of this podcast that I am a huge fan of fried chicken, and we've been uh, <laughs> maybe about half the episode so far. Uh, something has come up relating to fried chicken, and <laughs> I'm a, I'm a fan of marinating it before I bread it and fry it. Okay. Now, would I use marmite? So, of course, the British equivalent of Vegemite is marmite, right? No, it's- absolutely not. No. They are not the same oh. thing. You can't. You can't substitute it. It's like oh, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, Tell me no, why. No, no. Are they both not just like a a yeasty paste? Well, that's what you think. And admittedly, I'm actually not really a fan of Vegemite. But um, the flavors I have a tube, are, by are, the way. I brought I brought a tube back. Really optimistic. Vegemite came back from us. Yeah, when I came back from Australia. But have I've you not, not compared with them? It. Yeah, but. Uh, <laughs> It's not like a case of like yeast is yeast is yeast. They taste completely different. <laughs> you should do a blind test. You know what you should do is do a blind test and then. Um, yeah. Okay. That's what I'll do. Kind of check. Um, so how do you actually marinate the chicken and Vegemite? Do you, you presumably you have to thin it out somehow, no? Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's super simple. It's just a little bit of hot water and you thin it out um, to a kind of like until it gets to like a just watery consistency. Chuck the chicken wings in there, put them in there for 24 hours, and then we we put them into a um, into a, a straight flour mix, and then that gets uh, double fried. So we kind of oh, slow fry it. Um, we slow fry it the first time until it gets to like a fairly crispy standard, and then um, we let it sit for a while, and then we'll we'll quickly fry it at uh, at a really really high heat for a second time. Yeah, I don't need persuading on the double fry technique. You're very well. Much when you well, when language. you guys come over, you can try that. Oh, we'll goodness me! I'd well, make love sure it's to. ready. <laughs> oh, brilliant! Yeah. Do you think this dish would have come about if uh, the Australian embassy hadn't have uh, done this competition and said, "Hey, we need something Australian," and then she's scratching oh, no. her head, going, "Well, Vegemite. <laughs> That's let's no, see what I can do with that." No, absolutely not. Because um, yeah, Vegemite is probably not one of the things that you you think would. Um, be palatable to anybody. Like I'm not a fan of Vegemite myself, so I was really actually against marinating and marinating in Vegemite. But um, the the flavor completely changes once you marinate and then fry it. Um, it's just it's got this like really unique smoky, like deep smoky kind of bizarre umami flavor. It's incredible. So, what kind of things are you bringing to the kitchen? You're obviously you've surrounded yourself with all these talented people. What are your specialities? Um, so a large part of the menu is, is built around stuff that I've kind of created. So, um, the, the nasi lemak is based around that coriander oil, um, that we've done, um, the stuff on the menu, like the sandwiches and stuff are things that I just, I really love to, to eat. So roasted vegetables are not really a thing that you, you see anywhere in Brunei, but, um, I think there's something that that's super common everywhere else in the world so we just have this like roasted vegetable sandwich that has um egg like roasted eggplants like kind of really deep roasted cauliflower till they're crispy and brown um we do a homemade aioli um and then we have like charred leeks in there and stuff and it's it's a simple sandwich in essence but you know we we focus on making sure like all the ingredients in there are really really good and that's that's stuff that comes from me because it's personally just stuff that I love to eat so a lot of the the stuff on the menu is I I just would never put anything out on the menu that I wouldn't eat myself or I couldn't make myself and what things have you been making in this kind of more commercial context that maybe you wouldn't have made in your home kitchen 
probably the nasi lemak, I think. I think there's a lot of pressure to to produce dishes that will sell commercially as opposed to things that you just want to produce yourself. So, you know, if it was me, I would I would probably make the entire menu about potatoes because I'm just freaking obsessed with potatoes. Um, but no one would come here just to eat like four different, 40 different types of um, potatoes. So we have to do things that are a little bit more broad ranging in, in terms of um, what we serve. But I, I think it's, it's, it's nice to have that, I guess, structure because, you know, it does push you to be more creative in some ways. Like we could have just served a straight up nasi lemak, but um, because we knew we, we had to serve something that would appeal to, um, you know, a local taste and, and kind of be more commercially palatable. We then had to go, okay, how can we do that? But at the same time, make it something that is creative and has a completely different flavor profile to it than anything else that's out there. We've talked about so many different types of cuisine and your inspiration's coming from so many different places. I couldn't possibly guess what your signature dish is. There doesn't seem like there's one obvious dish. It could, by virtue of what you just said, be a potato <laughs> dish. It could be uh, something from Southeast Asia. It could be something international. Yeah. What's it to be? Um, it's it's a loaded dip, or what's called a loaded dip. But um, I'm obsessed with, with dips and hummus. And um, so this is something that, I really, I really wanted to put on the menu because I thought it tasted great. But we, you know, at the same time when we tested it, there was a lot of kind of doubt about whether or not people would actually buy this. Um, so I'm really thankful that it has turned out to be a popular dish on the menu. But um, yeah, so it's called the loaded dip. It is basically a house hummus. We then have like a couple of toppings on it. We do a miso butter corn. Um, miso which is, butter corn. Tell me about that. So that's something inspired from my love of ramen. So uh i grew up oh, i going, love ramen too we could be it's friends amazing um yeah so i grew up going to japan a lot so i i, I think i would go there almost every year from like the ages of like nine to, to 15 um so japanese food was a huge influence on on my life um and you know corn is so is kind of synonymous with, with ramen um and miso well, and, and, and butter in the north of japan in hokkaido that's so where go I go. Really yeah. So we we, we oh, go yeah. to Hokkaido. Yeah. Okay, I could have guessed that, uh, <laughs> because if you if you say that to someone in Tokyo or someone in Osaka or someone in uh, the south in Hakata, uh, the idea of putting sweet corn as a topping is absolutely yeah, be like those northerners. <laughs> but do you know what? I, it, it's funny. The first time I ever had ramen, well, in f I must have had ramen before, but the first time I had, I guess, something close to authentic ramen um, was in Paris. I was living in in Paris what? as a student. Um, yeah, and uh, there's there's a Japanese street, right? On I think it's the Rue de Petit Champ, but I I'm, I might yeah. be wrong. Um, I, maybe I'll put this restaurant in the show notes. Um, but they had it caught my eye because in the window was a massive, great big vat of broth, right? Like a big steaming, you know. And, they, and obviously, like this is one of these things that are just you know they just keep adding to that it. That would you be know, beautiful. Day after day. And so it re it's really eye catching. And so I went in and, and got a um, a bowl. And it yeah. had it had butter, uh, like a knob of butter on the top, and it had corn. And so yeah. for me, that was ramen, right? I didn't know that there were, you know, I didn't know that there were other bases yeah. that weren't miso. Um, and then I ended up living in the south of Japan, in in, uh, in Fukuoka, which uh, I do seem to bang on a, quite a lot about in this podcast. Um, and uh, there, they, they don't use a miso base at all, right? They they use the the shoyu base oh right 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 um okay or more or more commonly than that um a um, a broth made from pork bones right um 
And so, uh, yeah, I'm 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 fascinated to hear that your love of ramen started with with miso ramen too, because I was exactly the same. Yeah, I, I I mean, purists would probably be like, you know, that that's sacrilegious. But um, I think again, it's just if it tastes good, why not? Like for me, that corn and ramen is tastes good. Put it in there. Um, so yeah, so basically with the the miso butter corn, that that was inspired from Japan, and so we took the flavors of miso and um, and and butter and and corn and thinking of how that tastes in a ramen and we we kind of confit the corn until it gets to this um almost kind of jammy texture on the skin um it's it's a i think it's probably the bane of everyone in the kitchen because i have no way to explain um the process to them by a simple form of writing like you kind of have to to watch the corn slowly confit itself in the butter um, with the miso and keep turning it over and over and over until the the does skin the of the corn. Does the color? It does. So it becomes a little bit charred, um, and then the the skin will kind of take on this this translucent sheen and almost separate just a little bit from the the inner kernel. And when that happens, that's when you're golden. And the miso has kind of um, infused itself into the corn, and the 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 butter is kind of in there too, and the texture that is. It's not it's not typical corn. So I think when you think of sweet corn, you think of like the typical kind of you bite into it and it's, you know, a standard juicy, crunchy flavor. But the texture of this is it's almost a, um, a bit of like a, a jammy texture to it. So, yeah, right. it's, it's okay. quite bizarre. But yeah, so then there's that. And then we have a charred leek, which is also cooked in uh, cooked down in butter. So I heavily salt the leek. Um, and then we cook that down until that gets charred as well. And then that gets thrown on top of the hummus. Um, and then that all gets topped off with, um, feta and a sprinkle of paprika. Um, I think the thing that kind of ties the dish together is, is the hummus base because hummus, if you do it right, is so amazingly deep and complex in its flavors. You know, I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? That you look at a can of chickpeas and you think you are the most boring thing in the world and yet all you got to do all you got to do is is add a bit of oil sometimes not even sometimes people even make hummus without adding oil right but you know add something yeah. right uh and it tastes it bloody amazing yeah so um how do you make your hummus um so i have a pretty specific process when when i drain the chickpeas um and i we don't ever use canned chickpeas in our um when we do our hummus so we actually cook them from scratch and we use um bicarb to to speed up the process because otherwise it takes hours um but yeah so then we we just cook down the chickpeas um i like to make sure that they're not too soft so um i think some people think that you know when you boil down a chickpea essentially it just gets to one state which is just a boiled chickpea but you can boil it down so much that it becomes soft and mushy and it doesn't give you the right texture for your hummus so you kind of have to watch out for that and um when you're you're kind of cooking and boiling your your chickpeas you have to you know continuously like as you would for a, a pasta just check on the the texture of the chickpea and, and make sure that it's um not it's not al dente. It's kind of a bit far past al dente. So um, between al dente and and mushy, uh, that there's somewhere in between that <laughs> that region. Um, so um, yeah, then that just gets drained and pulsed into the the food processor 
until it's fine without any water or anything else in it. Um, and then you kind of have to pulse it until it becomes a fine sand on its own. And then you slowly add in like a little bit of uh, sunflower oil or olive oil. Um, well, yeah, I, I think... And you don't have a preference as to which? Um, I think I, I would prefer olive oil, but it doesn't really make sense in a commercial setting. So if for home cooks, go for olive oil. Like it just does taste better. So you, you kind of slowly add in the um, the olive oil. And keep pulsing it until it gets to like a cookie dough like texture. So when we've had people that are training in the kitchen to make the hummus, um, we've had people that have, you know, thrown the chickpeas in, blitzed it, thrown some oil in and processed it. And, you know, it it doesn't come out the same, even though you put in all the exact amount of um, the exact amount of seasoning or, or whatever else um, that goes in there. And so I think for me, like the starting texture of the hummus is super important. So until you get that, like that cookie dough consistency at the start, I would say that you've got to, you know, you, you shouldn't forge ahead and just start throwing in like your, your seasoning and until you've got that, that initial, um, I guess like a, a starter for bread um, in a way. So you get that cookie dough consistency and then, um, Pour in some lemon juice, about half a lemon to half a lemon to 400 grams of chickpeas, roughly, um, and then uh, pulse that down. And then you add in garlic, paprika, oregano, which I know is weird. Um, uh, roughly, roughly crushed black pepper and we use pink Himalayan salt because it doesn't have the same kind of sharp, sharp saltiness as like commercial cooking salt. Okay. Interesting. And how did you come up with this particular variation on hummus? Did you start with your kind of basic hummus and then go, right, how do I make it mine? Um, no, honestly, it was just experimenting. Like a lot of the stuff that comes out of the kitchen is really just me going, okay, um, I'm going to cook for 10 friends. What the hell am I going to do? And just randomly grab stuff and start start making things. And what tips do you have to people for people who want to be as experimental as you? I mean, you've, you, you've been so experimental, you've even built a space in order for you to experiment safely and even make money from it. How do people become like you? Um, I think just, just do it. Just go for it. Uh, I think if you think about it too much, you'd probably think that it doesn't make sense and you wouldn't do it. So... I would say take the leap and um, just get cooking. What a message. Take the leap and just get cooking. I couldn't agree more. Uh, that was Shinny. What a great conversation. Um, really, really excited to hear that uh, something as simple as a, as a little competition organized by uh, a high commission uh, could create a take on fried chicken that I genuinely uh, could never have imagined myself. Um, I haven't yet done the blind taste test between Marmite and Vegemite, but I do plan uh, to use Marmite in a fried chicken recipe of my own in the not-too-distant future, so um, I'll let you know how that goes. Uh, we have another fantastic episode coming up next week which I've just recorded uh, and that's going to be with a cook uh, who's originally from South India uh, so we'll be talking uh, curries, dals uh, and all sorts of delicious things so I hope that you'll stick around with the podcast uh, if you're not a subscriber please do subscribe uh, on using whatever platform you're currently listening to this if you'd like to email the podcast you can do so by emailing us at podcast at pona.app that's podcast at p-o-n-a dot app I'll see you next week <laughs>